It's time to turn off the lights, grab some popcorn, and watch some horrible horror movies. This is the Terrible Terror Podcast. Each episode, I delve into the world of terrible horror movies. Why do I do it? Well, I can't really explain it, but I love these horrible movies. If you've made a movie on your phone or made your own special effects MacGyver style, please send it my way. Now, what do you get when you take an old, somewhat unknown legend and holiday creature and try to turn it into a new Christmas classic while you get the film Krampus? Beginning to look a lot like Christmas Everywhere you go Take a look in the five and ten Glistening once again With candy canes and silver lanes aglow It's beginning to look a lot like Christmas Toys in every store But the prettiest sight to see is the holly that will be on your old front door. Why, hello and welcome to another episode of the Terrible Terror Podcast. Holy crap, it's weird going back to these like every other week episodes versus the fucking month of October that I did. Uh, But we are back and we are starting Christmas month. Now, it is a little tough to find some Christmas movies, at least ones that are maybe obscure or, uh, you know, haven't been talked about a lot. And this is one of those films where I think a lot of people have kind of talked about, but it's one that I wanted to talk about last year, but never really got a chance to see it. So I thought, what the fuck? Uh, we're doing Krampus Month here on the Terrible Terror Podcast for 2016, and we're starting off with the 2015 film Krampus, uh, that was produced by Legendary Pictures and Universal. Now, a lot of you might not know, and I'm pretty sure, though, if you are in the horror world, not necessarily talking about this film, but you know about the creature Krampus, I mean... It's something that got introduced to me, funny enough, through the Venture Brothers uh, in one of the holiday specials they had a, quite a long time ago. Because Krampus came out and kept whipping uh, Dr. Venture like crazy. And they kind of explained who he was. Uh, and then I researched it and realized, hey, back in Austria, this is a very big thing. This is something that everybody knows. Uh, and I was just finding out about it around the time that that episode was released. So, this is kind of not... I wouldn't say it's the first foray into doing Krampus. It's the first time that Krampus was talked about on such a large scale. I mean, everybody who knew about him knew about him already. And to those, like... I don't want to say sadly or funny enough, 
But like my parents, who didn't even know, like, oh, look at what this is. We don't know what this is, and decided to actually watch this movie, and funny enough, enjoy it. Uh, knowing them, they don't like a lot of horror, and it's funny to see them fall in love with a movie, especially something that's a, a Christmas classic. Well, I wouldn't call it a classic. Trying to portray itself as a Christmas classic. Now, this isn't in, like a Santa's sleigh, right? Where it's uh, purposely cheesy and kind of off the wall. Um, they really did try to do a couple things uh, with the film. And really bring Krampus into the limelight uh, of conversation around this time of the year. Because honestly, we really don't have a lot of, uh, I want to say evil Christmas figures uh, that we can look up to during the holiday season. For those of you that don't like all the cookie cutter, everyday, you know, uh, holiday films that they kind of shove down your throat this time of year, I'm not talking about like How the Grinch Stole Christmas or Rudolph the Red-Nosed Reindeer. Those are classics. Those are fine. I'm talking It's a Wonderful Life. Yes, I hate that movie. It has a good message. It's boring as fuck. Uh, or, or anything around that. A Christmas Carol's cool because A Christmas Carol's got the ghost of uh, future past or whatever the fuck his name is. But uh, it basically has death in it. And I'll be honest with you, Mickey's Christmas Carol is one of my favorite films to fucking watch every year during this time. So it's not that I hate Christmas movies. It's I just hate the holly jolly uplifting crap that always gets put out this time of year. Uh, that's why last year it was kind of cool to watch and talk about uh, during the first season of Christmas Horror Story. And if you haven't listened to the episode, I say go back and check it out. Uh, and also Santa's Sleigh, which is just one of my guilty pleasures, and I really do try to watch that once a year. I think I have it lined up sometime next week or maybe the week before Christmas. But I thought... Let's start out, there are two Krampus films that we'll be talking about in the month of December, and I don't know if there's a third that I can find, but if I can, I'll do it, otherwise I have another one lined up for the end of the month. But first, we're going to start with a big one, the wide-release film of Krampus, and it's an interesting film in general. It really tries to do something, I think, for the holiday season that really hasn't been done in a Christmas movie that kind of paints itself out to be a horror movie and that's actually capture the christmas spirit without a bunch of blood and violence and gore uh that really happens when they try to make something like like a black christmas I'm, i'm not saying necessarily that the gore is there but it's more just a frightening film than anything else and i'm also not talking like a gremlins where it happens during christmas but some people don't count it as a christmas film right I would, but not necessarily everybody would. So, uh, without further ado, we let's get into talking about Krampus. And then uh, I'm going to go through the film as normally, and I might have a little bit of a longer ending on this one, uh, just because there's a couple of themes that I want to talk about that kind of recurred through the film. And I'll try not, I, I can't guarantee you, try not to talk about them throughout them. There's going to be a couple because there's a reoccurring lines of dialogue that happen, so you'll kind of get that from me, uh, but in general, there are some things at the end of the film, as well as a small discussion 
of what the ending might mean to you and what it kind of means to me. Everybody is going to have a different interpretation of the way that this film ends. And I've looked at a couple things uh, in, when I was trying to research uh, what to, well, basically the trailer for the film that we're going to talk about next time. And I watched a couple pretty good videos uh, on people discussing what's going on. And I kind of have my interpretation of that whole thing. So, Without further ado, uh, the film opens with, uh, you know, the snow kind of setting in through just the title logos where you kind of got when you heard during the theme song. And I wanted to leave it in because there was still kind of like a chanty type thing to the snow where it had this weird feeling of still having its own life even during the titles little cards. And those aren't the title cards of the film. I'm talking about just the Universal Logo title and as well as legendary pictures. And then once it starts turning in the film, it's that happy-go-lucky Christmas music. And this actually sets a tone for the film right away. And you'll get it as the film moves on, and we'll talk about that, like I said, closer to the end of the film. So it opens up when the Christmas music starts to play upon like a Black Friday type of sale where everybody's beating the shit out of each other for the toys, the food, the... Uh, cheap deals, you know, the, the, your traditional American holiday, really. I mean, what doesn't say America more than getting your ass kicked because you had to get that 39-cent toaster or that $29.75 inch TV? I mean, that's worth getting stabbed over, right? That's America. You fucking deal with it. So they're all fighting. You see people being thrown around everywhere, and then it goes upon... Like, I guess a Christmas play, and you see Adam Scott's character, Tom. And uh, I'm going to say right away, I like the casting of this movie very, very much. Especially in the adults, because you get two of my favorite kind of... Well, one of my favorite improv-style improv comedians uh, in Adam Scott. And then you get one of my film-style comedians in David Koechner. Uh, if you don't know who David Koechner is, uh, you can look up such comedy classics as The Comebacks, where he plays the coach, uh, Anchorman, Anchorman 2, or I should say with full title, The Legend of Ron Burgundy, and then The Legend Continues. Uh, and uh, you, you, when you see him, you'll recognize him. He's been in a bunch of things. He's also with, uh, I think, The Naked Trucker. I can't remember what his name was in that, but it's like a comedy duo band uh, that's really funny, and uh, I would definitely look that stuff up on YouTube uh, versus watching that Comedy Central show that came out, because that was kind of limited to what they could do for the network. Uh, but still, it's pretty damn good. He's pretty damn funny, uh, and I have almost liked every role that he's been in he also showed up on the office every once in a while now adam scott a lot of you might know uh directly from i believe it's parks and recreation that he was a big part of but where i know him from is the comedy bang bang pod uh, podcast as well as being on other things like doug loves movies um i think he was on who charted but a bunch of he kind of goes around he had a uh, near old show with uh scott ackerman i believe uh but just how quick-witted the guy is and to under to like listen to him talk and it's weird because you hear him in this movie and he feels like he's just a one-tone pony 
But really, that's kind of the way that his comedy is and the way his delivery is on everything. So it doesn't really bother me much, but I can understand if people don't really like his character. And then you kind of have a bunch of other different people kind of around uh, the film. The surprising one enough to me was um, Conchata Farrell as Aunt Dorothy, who we'll meet a little later on the film. Uh, I saw her and I was like, holy shit, I know you. And, and it was two and a half men that I know her from. Uh, but we'll have to talk more about her as the, the movie comes on. Uh, like I said, there's a couple other people. Tony Collette uh, playing Tom's or Adam Scott's wife. And as well as Alyssa Tomlin, who or Tolman, I'm, I'm sorry. Uh, who I recognize, but I don't know exactly what I recognize her from. We've also got a bunch of kids that play all the roles in the movie. Uh, I don't really want to go too much further into that, but I'm just saying that the the way that everybody's casted for what they're needed for, uh, even the kids, is pretty damn good for this type of movie. They could have really just kind of thrown that out the door and just said, okay, we're going to get these specific people because they're maybe they're cheaper or... They maybe uh, are similar to what we want, but it seems like everybody's kind of perfectly fit into the role that they're playing in the movie. And I really, really enjoy that. Uh, so once we see this fight kind of break down and we go and it fades away and we see Omi, who is Tom's mother as well as the grandmother in the film. I'm going to call her Jima for most of the film because that's how I wrote everything down. So if I forget Omi, I apologize. Jima sounds a lot better. Uh, but she's baking cookies, getting everything ready. And then uh, Max, Tom and Sarah's son all walking through the door at the same time talking about the fight that Max just had with somebody during the Christmas play. You're gonna write an apology to the rest of your class for ruining the recital. What are you thinking, Max? That kid was twice your size. Yeah, but Pinky Klitschke's always ragging on Christmas. He even told the first graders that Santa was just a cheap marketing ploy and then did to sell Pepsi. Coke. You know what I mean? But not why you care. So everybody's kind of introduced within the uh, household of the Angles, which again. You don't kind of get their last name, and it's always weird when you look it up, uh, especially when you want to remember things like, oh, what was that character's name so that you can speak him correctly inside of a podcast? Uh, but it's funny that their last name is Engel, which in German means angel. So everybody's all kind of stressed out about the in-laws that are going to be coming in. You see Sarah's sister, Linda, she's going to be visiting with her quite large family. Uh, the daughter, Beth, she's not very happy that they're actually going to be showing up. Last year, I found shit in my bed, Mom. Human shit. For the last time, that was their dog. They're why some people shouldn't be allowed to breed. Your words, Mom, not mine. I never said that. I said maybe they should have to take a test before they're allowed to breed. So, as you can see already, this family is absolutely loving and they love the fact that they're, you know, her sister and her kids and her husband are all coming over. And yeah, no, this family just hates everything. It's a fucking ridiculous mess of everything. I mean, except for the kid, he's the only one that's kind of in the Christmas spirit. And if you don't see that as foreshadowing, well, you're going to see what happens later on in the film. 
So they're all kind of upset, and uh, Sarah looks over at the wall, the photo they just got, and notice that Santa is checking out their daughter, Beth, who I'm not sure what age they're trying to portray her as, because she looks like she's like 14, maybe 15, and yeah, that would be kind of creepy, but if they're trying to say that maybe she's closer to being of age, and Santa's doing that, it's just still bothering the mom, the fact that Santa Claus is totally checking her out. Uh, we go back into the kitchen, and we see Omi, or Grandma, talking with uh, Max. But the problem is, she only speaks to him in German. Thanks, Omi. Omi? Hmm? Do you still really believe in Santa? Natürlich. Aber ich glaube, der Nikolaus ist auch das... Was du aus ihm machst. What do you mean? An ihn zu glauben heißt, an den wahren Geist von Weihnachten zu glauben. An den Geist des Gebens und des Opferns. So, it's very hard to kind of understand what she's saying if you don't know fucking German. Now, my German is pretty shitty, to be honest with you. Uh, and surprising enough, I do know. What she's kind of saying is she's talking about Santa Claus. And my translation is going to be really rough here. But when we kind of listen to it, so the first thing that he asked her, of course, do you believe in Santa Claus? And she says, natürlich, which is just naturally in German, right? So naturally, yeah, she does believe in him. However, when she says, ich glaube, that's kind of like she believes. So she goes, aber ich glaube, but I think that... Uh, you know, and this is where I'm kind of lost uh, on that translation. Something to do with, I know Weihnachten is Christmas, uh, and something to do with him being a, bit, a part of the holiday, but he's not the only part of the Christmas holiday. And I could be totally wrong, my German could be completely bad, but that's around it. But the big point of this is, is Max is able to just talk with her. Throughout the whole fucking movie, throughout the whole movie that's going on, whenever she speaks, she speaks primarily in German except for one long scene that we're going to play in its entirety, uh, that she, oh, and, and there's another part that she does speak English in, but for the most part, everything she does, she goes back and forth in German, and he just kind of like, oh, okay, and you miss something here because at least the copy that I had uh, subtitles uh, weren't available for it. So I don't know if in the original theatrical release, when you went to the theater, you just kind of heard her like this. And I believe that might be the case because later on when she does say something, Max translates or Tom translates for her because that's Tom's mom and they're able to understand what she says in German. It's really weird. Uh, it's also kind of cool because it hides some things from you, right? From what you learn later in the movie, without being able to see subtitles and see what exactly she's saying, you have to kind of guess at to what she's doing. Now, if you understand German, I guess it's a bonus for you. Like, for me, I, I can make that out so much. I know the words, but I don't necessarily know the context. So, my guess right now kind of is as good as yours is. Uh, but I know that she's talking about Santa, that she does believe in him. But she thinks that there's a bigger picture around him around Christmas. And that's something that ties into stuff later in the film. I think it's a really kind of neat and kind of cool device. 
But at the same time, I think people are going to wish that they'd be able to at least read what she was saying. Or in the case of some people that I know, just don't want her to fucking speak German at all. Because this is America and you're making a fool of America, fool. Uh, but honestly, it's, it's weird. But I like the choice of them doing that. So, of course, shortly after, while they're wrapping up all the gifts, we get to meet uh, the sister and in-laws from hell. Merry Christmas! Hey, sis, Merry Christmas! Oh gosh, I'm so glad you guys could oh, make it. You have no idea. Accidents all over the freeways and nothing mm. but crazy talk radio for <laughs> six hours. Hey. We brought you a little taste of home though, didn't we? Oh wow! Thank you. It looks wow. You're welcome. Come on, let me move it, move oh. it. We don't have to keep the traffic jam going now. Well, let me help you. Oh no, get that off. Yes, Thanks, right. Tommy. Sorry. Give the butler the night off. Did you? Uh-huh. Tom, don't worry about it. Yeah. Yeah, we uh, brought Rosie. You don't have a cat, do you? It's fine, it's fine, right? It's fine. <laughs> Merry Christmas, girls. Come on in. Don't you look cute in your matching jackets? They're just a little cranky because the Steelers lost, so... Uh, Jordan, Stevie, why don't you tell your Aunt Sarah about your Presidential Fitness Award, huh? So, we get introduced to the rest of the family, but of course, they also forgot that the baby was in the car... So, uh, Linda had to go back and go get the baby. There was also another surprise here, but before I get to that, uh, so David Keckner's character Howard is just a complete dick. You basically have two sides of the spectrum, right? You've got Sarah and her family, who are the affluent, well-off, regular, not regular, but, but more put-together people. And then you've got kind of the other side of the aisle, with uh linda and her family which are more of the quote-unquote redneck family uh and mouth breathers if you want to especially when you look at their son howard jr who basically stands around with a blank look on his face and his mouth basically open like uh especially when max tries to have a conversation with him back and forth there isn't any back and forth and there's just him staring him in the fucking face Of course, the surprise of the evening is when Aunt Dorothy just shows up with the rest of them. Linda is a little kind of uh, scared to tell her sister exactly what happened. And of course, Sarah is pretty fucking pissed. Thank you, honey. Thank you. Oh, my goodness. A holiday roast is a surprise. Hemorrhoids are a surprise. She is a goddamn nightmare. What were you thinking? Come on, she's not that bad. (sighs) She's not. Besides, she tricked me, okay? I thought we were just dropping off gifts and she came to the door with a suitcase. What was I supposed to do? Tell her she has to spend Christmas by herself? No, but at least you could have warned me when one of your mistakes is going to become my problem. You think everything I do is a mistake. So, it's weird because I originally didn't know if that was the aunt to both of them or it was Howard's uh, aunt or whomever it was. But it kind of makes sense because they're sisters. They both know of her. And I'm kind of linking it to them directly. So from here, we start going to Christmas dinner. And of course, you've got the two different sides where Linda is trying to be a little too much of an upper class person. You know, the type that sits around the table and talks about how everything that they buy in terms of meat and veggies and all, it's all farm to table. And they try all these things and everything is, uh, 
you know, has to have weird fucking freaky ass names for the food or, oh, I took a sushi class last week and so I'm making you all something that I've never made before, but you guys are all probably going to fucking hate because you're more of a meat and potato family, which is what Linda and her husband kind of are. So they argue over what's going on and, you know, what's happening at the table. And, of course, it leads to a little bit of gun talk to show how far, I guess, quote-unquote, redneck that family is. Eagle Scouts, kids, that's where you weave baskets and help little old <laughs> ladies across the street. Am I right? No, no. <laughs> no, 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 no. It was actually quite a bit of uh, survival training. So. Well, the only survival training I need is my old smoke pole and a big fat box of buckshot that I keep out in that truck. A shepherd has got to protect his flock. Honey, we said no gun talk at the dinner table. This family needs a little gun talk, whether it's at the dinner table or anywhere else. You wow. know what I'm saying? So, I don't really know what you're saying, Howard, uh, other than to kind of show that maybe this these two families couldn't be further from where they were from each other. Which, again, kind of comes up a little later in the film, but I don't want to ruin that for you just yet. Uh, you have them also go around the table, you know, and Max obviously is somebody that still believes in the holidays and still believes in Santa. And that gets the two younger daughters uh, to go and start creating a story to make Max very upset. Hey, Max, bad. Care what happened to Santa? No, Stevie, what happened to Santa? Heard it on the news. His sleigh crashed in the Rockies. Shattered both his legs. Frostbite took care of his pain, but not his hunger. So to survive, he had to slaughter and eat his reindeer. Including Rudolph. Eight tiny reindeer. Get it? <laughs> Don't start anything. And this gets them kind of upset. And Howard says, oh, it's just kids being kids. And... Uh, Tom just is like, you know, he's a little worried about Max because they don't know that Max got in that fight a little earlier. And it seems like Max has a really big temper because Beth's got to hold him back to his sister. And of course, Stevie and Jordan still ridicule him more until Stevie actually brings out a wish list that Max wrote to Santa. I know I haven't been great this year, and I'm sorry for that. But I was really hoping you could help out me and my family this Christmas. We need you. Oh, Max, you've had that so sweet. Give it back. Stop, Max. Blah, blah, blah. Bullshit, bullshit. Ah, here we go. Maxie's wish list. Stevie, stop. That's enough. Wait, you're up first, Beth. I wish me and Beth could hang out like we used to. You might have noticed that I don't have tons of friends. Oh, no. Really, Max? I wish my mom and dad could fall in love again. I know they get upset a lot with dad away from home so much I think they really just miss each other (laughs) also I wish things weren't so hard for Uncle Howard and Aunt Linda so maybe you can lend them a hand the rest of the year too and and that screw you dad does not wish we were boys So, of course, this causes a big fight around the table, and he goes after them to get his letter back. 
this ruckus causes Max to turn around and yell at everybody that he hates them all. And it's hard to wonder whether this family ever really fucking loved each other at all. They just seem like they've got a ton of animosity that they're only there to be there because it's the holidays and that's the thing to do. It's kind of disturbing because you really don't like any of the characters at this point in this film. I mean, I like them in different ways in terms of, haha, like, I like David Koechner's character Howard. And he definitely becomes better as the film goes along. But he's definitely kind of the comic relief that we're seeing right here. And he's really playing a similar character that he's played before in a couple other films. And the only character that I can kind of identify with, surprising enough, isn't Max. It's Tom. Tom is the most identifiable because he sees what's going on between. He knows that he has to keep the peace between both families. You can see it in his face. But he's a little tired of it at the same time. Like, he cares enough for his kids to be like, uh, I'm gonna, you know, I don't want them to be upset. Uh, but he knows that he can't just jump in because he doesn't want to mess with his wife's in-laws and his wife's family. Uh, that causes Tom, uh, well... Tom to chase Max upstairs after Max runs into his room after he's grabbed the letter directly from Stevie. Uh, When he gets in there, Max actually poses one of the best questions of all time. Can I come in? No. You know, they're leaving right after Christmas, so we only have to survive another three days. I don't get it. Every year gets worse. Why do we have to put up with their crap just because we share DNA? Because that's what a family is, Max. People you try to be friends with, even though you don't have a whole lot in common. But why? Because. Well, okay, you kind of got me there. Or maybe it makes us work a little harder to find what we do have in common. You know? Put everything aside. Think of other people for a change. Friends, family, even the assholes you normally can't stand. Like Uncle Howard? Didn't want to name names. So this is when, at the point of the film, that I actually like like Tom as a character. Before then, I thought, uh, this kind of sucks. But he's truly the voice of reason within the family. And it's weird to hear Adam Scott be that type of person. Especially if you've seen that movie, Torque. Uh, that is a weird position to kind of compare him to this this film. Uh, you know, a Fast and Furious type of ripoff uh, to Krampus. But to hear that type of emotive response directly from Tom, it actually connects, at least me, and I, I hope that it connects you with him as well. Because he truly is the best character in this film. He's the one that's constantly looking after each other. He doesn't care about the differences between people. And I'm not trying to say this is one of those, oh, look, because he's the richer person or he's the, you know, quote-unquote liberal person, that he has the better mindset on things. It's not the, the case in point. I mean, you could see it in that way, but honestly, it's not really focused on that. What it is is that he's kind of the peacemaker of the bunch he's able to do everything he needs to do with howard and his family and but yet he you can hear that he does resent it and it's kind of a cool character i mean i wish it had a little more to it as well as i do in fleshing out a lot of these characters 
But a lot of these characters I could give a shit about. I don't really care about the kids. And what sucks is one of the kids I don't really care about at all. I don't know a whole bunch about. Other than, of course, her boyfriend that she has is a fucking big-ass pot smoker. And she, she wants to go out into the blizzard to go find him because she hasn't heard him. And that's Beth, right? Who is the daughter of both Tom and Sarah. But I am getting a little bit ahead of myself, and I'll get to that point in just a minute. So after this heartfelt talk, Max decides that he's going to send that letter to Santa after all. But he looks at it, and looks at it a little bit longer and longer and longer, and then he decides, nope, fuck it, I'm just going to tear that shit up. So he tears it up, and he throws it out the window. But instead of the papers just flying off... It flies up into the sky and completely disappears, and then the clouds totally come in and it becomes really dark gray. So you know that something he just did is basically the cause for everything that's going to come up. It's kind of crappy because they could have done it maybe a little differently, but it's also kind of dramatic, so it's weird that the characters don't realize it right away. Well, at least Max doesn't until the towards the end of the film. But as an audience, we're already being tipped off that he's the reason why things are going to happen and why things are going to go the way that they are because he doesn't want his family uh, around anymore and he really hates them. We then focus in on the next day where you can kind of see a sad-looking snowman and the utilities and all the electricity everywhere has been completely shut down. Sarah and Tom kind of talk about what's going to go on on and what how are they going to handle things and this is when Beth comes up and says hey I haven't heard from my boyfriend in a couple hours he just lives up the street can I go find him um honestly if I was her father and her mother I'd be like no you need to stay here you need to stay with your family I'm sorry that you can't get in touch with your boyfriend if he really loved you he'd come down here and do it himself but guess what I guess he doesn't love you because he's a fucking pothead stoner so, you might as well break up with him. Hey, and this is two birds with one stone. We get to lose this loser from ever visiting my family again, and you get to go out to greener pastures. Let's just deal with it, okay? Uh, but, of course, they let her go out in the fucking snow. I just, really, the blizzard is that bad, and you're just going to let your young daughter go out in the fucking snow by herself? Look, you can barely see past your front lawn, and that's what you're telling your wife, and you're just like... Uh, hmm. I guess. Sure. Why not? I, I don't give a fuck. One less mouth to feed, if you ask me. So as she's leaving the house to go search for her boyfriend, we do see that David Keckner's Howard is kind of treating his two daughters as his two sons. Basically getting him to do some type of Greco-Roman wrestling right there in front of the house. Though I forgot to mention before they leave... The, a DHL guy shows up randomly. One, who uses fucking DHL to do any type of... Pa- and then, uh, never mind, I don't want to get on that thing. But he's delivering some packages, and Linda opens the door to sign for the stuff, and she looks to the right, and there's a giant red fucking sack filled with boxes that she just brings into the house. No knowledge of who could have possibly left it. I mean... I guess if there was, uh, you know, like the DHL guy said, another delivery service that just dropped it off, I probably wouldn't think anything of it, but really a big red sack. Of course, that's some type of foreshadowing for the audience to know that, hey, that wasn't left by just anybody. That must have been left by Krampus. 
or Santa. Maybe he was in a good mood before Krampus actually showed up, but this is still two days left of Christmas. So we're on Christmas Eve right here, folks. Actually, no, I think we're on the 23rd because the movie actually ends on Christmas Day. So she brings everything in uh, along with Howard, and then Beth decides to leave. And before we go off on Beth's adventure, you know, they're still trying to think of what to do with the utilities and everything inside. And of course, Omi does have a suggestion. She says hot chocolate makes everything better. Yeah, pretty much. And then we see that Max here can understand. And we kind of actually learned, too, that everybody in the family... I don't know if Sarah necessarily can, but at least Tom, Beth, Kinda, and Max. But mostly Tom and Max know exactly what she's saying at all times. And they always have to have her translate for everything. Beth is then uh, shown out inside a ridiculous fucking blizzard. Seriously, I don't know how old she is. If she's like 14, 15, like she kind of looks, why would you let her go out in this? It's You can barely see what's going on. All of a sudden, some weird horn thing starts chasing her around. Now, I don't know if this is necessarily Krampus doing the things. It's kind of implied. Uh, or if it's one of his little minions that we learn about later on. She f- goes to where she finds the DHL truck. And inside, the DHL guy has been basically killed. Looks like he's been frozen to death. She's chased so much that she dives underneath the truck and then we get the scenes from the trailer where you see the cloven hoof pressed down next to the thing. And then you see the jack-in-the-box kind of show up. I thought there was going to be some type of jump scare where she gets pulled out from underneath the truck and she gets captured. But it turns out it's a jack-in-the-box scare. And that's how either she gets captured or she gets killed. And it kind of sucks at this point that Beth is the first one to die. And that they're focusing on the kids. Now, I understand that the Krampus... Uh, tale or fairy tale or however you want to put it legend uh, has to deal with him getting the kids and torturing the kids so then it would make sense if she's a bad kid and she's gonna go get tortured but it sucks that Beth is the first one to go honestly I thought it was gonna be the little mouth breather uh, Howard Jr. but it's Beth when she goes looking out for her boyfriend so now we go back to the house and after some lengthy amount of time because they said no more than an hour should you be out there Uh, They decide that it's time to go out and look for Beth. So Tom decides he's going to go out there by himself. But Howard says, I'm going to come along with you because you shouldn't just go alone. Basically kind of like a machismo type of thing. But Omi, she tries to stop Tom from leaving. Thomas. Thomas. Warte. Bitte geht nicht. What? Why? What the hell is she so riled up about? Es ist zu gefährlich. Bitte wartet bis der Sturm vorüber ist. She says not to go, but it's too dangerous that we should wait until the storm's over. Tom. Oh, I got this. Hey, Mom, we have to go pick up Beth, but Max and Sarah will take care of you while I'm gone. What okay? Mom, hey, Mom, listen. Of course, you know, here, Grandma knows what the fuck is up, and that something outside is going to be terrorizing them if they decide to go. Everybody should just be staying here alone, but they decide to go to Beth's boyfriend's house to see if they can find her. Along the way, Tom and Howard run into a snowplow that's been abandoned. While inspecting it, they realize that something has happened to the driver. 
poor bastard must have sailed clear through. It's more like the opposite. What do you mean? The glass is punched in. Now, it's weird that everybody's kind of just gone. Like, they can't even find anybody out there within the city. They've only seen the DHL guy, and he's the only guy that's really been a character in this film. So it makes me believe, is this some type of, like, Christmas rapture? Like, everybody just up and goes to Christmas heaven, and Krampus comes along and snatches them off and throws them to hell? Or does he focus on one family? And it kind of gets weird, you know, because when they go to the boyfriend's house, there's a couple of different things they see. Of course... There is a comedic moment involving guns and the size of a gun before they go to the boyfriend's house. You packed guns on Christmas. Always be prepared, Boy Scout. It's kind of heavy. Yeah. It's Linda's. Ha, 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 ha. You know, you're making the joke again that, oh, he's such a pansy that he can barely hold a gun, and that's his wife's gun, his wife knows how to handle it more than he does. I understand, it's kind of a cheesy joke, and doesn't really fire on all cylinders, and you're trying to show the disposition between the two of them, uh, with him being the city boy, and I guess him power being the country boy, and it just, it just kind of falls on its face, so... They go into the boyfriend's house, and when they go into the boyfriend's house, they notice that there is just everything's thrown everywhere. And one of the biggest things they focus on is a gingerbread man that's been stabbed into the fridge. So we know that it's not necessarily a rapture type of situation because, well, at least maybe we don't, because the boyfriend or his family were somehow involved in the whole thing. And when you get to the fireplace, there are these giant cracks all along the wall, all the way down to the entrance of the fireplace. So we know something big and scary possibly came down. And that's where they notice the markings on the floor. I've hunted a lot of game in my day. Those are hooves. Big ones, too. Could be an elk. Or a goat. kind of goat walks on its hind legs? So they leave the house and they start walking across the field because they think that they hear Beth's voice. And while they're walking across, something grabs a hold of Howard and starts dragging him down to the ground. And it looks like he's being eaten alive, but truly he's just kind of being bitten. Uh, And he, uh, Tom, grabs the gun and is actually able to shoot whatever's in the ground and get Howard free to which Howard thanks him there. They run back over to Howard's Hummer to see that it's been totally smashed. We then cut inside uh, into the house where Sarah decides she's actually going to go out and start looking for both Tom and Howard. I think you're going. To find them. I don't like this. What are you talking about? Tom and Howard know what they're doing. They're fine. Are they? Mom? Honey, I'll be right back. I promise. Just lock the door. Oh, God! Oh, my God! Swords, 
So the kids all go into the kitchen with Aunt Dorothy where she shows them how to make peppermint schnapps uh, with their coffee and then gives everybody a little bit to calm them down. The Howard, Linda, Sarah, and Tom, they all kind of discuss what's been going on outside. And they show him the stuff that's happened to his leg. It was something out that bit them, but they don't know exactly what it is. And as they keep arguing, they figure that what type of thing are they going to tell the kids? We can't go anywhere. It's too dangerous. You got it? Howard, how much ammo do you have? A couple shells still loaded, maybe a dozen in my pocket. Why? I think our best bet is to stay put. Board up all the doors and windows. And as soon as the weather breaks, we'll go find her. I told you we should have gone to my brother's. Sure, Howard. Christmas on a pig farm. Jesus was born in a barn. Knock it off, you guys. What about the kids? What are we going to tell them? You know the truth? Sure. Which version of it? And I forgot to mention again, I always seem to do this before sometimes I play these clips, but there was a pertinent thing that the mom, uh, or Omi, said to Tom. And she said, roughly translated in German, keep the fire hot. Now, if you don't know, there is nobody to tell you at that point in the film what that means, what what the wording means. He just looks at her and he's just like, Huh, and then he makes sure that he keeps the fireplace going. And in the beginning, I thought that it was like, keep the fire going, but there's something that happens a little later. I'm like, okay, then that would make more sense. Keep the fire hot. It's it's basically the same thing, right? Keep the fire going or keep the flame big. Um, it, it was what you're, you're getting at. And again, it's a weird choice not to have like a subtitle. If the version I've seen doesn't have it, or I maybe I didn't turn them on, I could have probably done that. But it also adds some type of air of mystery because you don't know everything that she says, and it leads you to different conclusions when she explains some big things. Uh, at this point, all the kids come into view, and they basically discuss that they all need to just try to sleep for the night. Uh they're going to be taking watches. There's kind of a little bit of weird heart-to-heart between Howard and Tom, which was a little odd. Uh, but, you know, they want to make sure that they keep everybody safe as much as they can. And, of course, there's something there that Omi truly knows. You get some sleep, pal. How? Good point. Hey, Dad. Are we going to die? Hey, I don't know. No. Omi's been acting different. Ever since the storm. Yeah, well, you know... She always gets a little weird around Christmas. How come? I don't know, she never wanted to talk about it. This creates kind of a little bit of a red herring in this film. It kind of makes you believe that maybe Krampus is actually after Grandma for something that she did before. Because, of course, as time goes on, we learn a little more of her connection to this whole thing that's going on. But you have to remember at the same time that Max was the one that didn't want his family around anymore and threw the papers out the window. So everybody goes to sleep, and Howard decides, I'm going to watch everybody. But of course, he falls asleep with the rest of them, and the fire begins to go out inside of the fireplace. 
At this point, you see a hook come down. And this is where kind of the film starts opening up. Everything up to this point has been relatively more character-focused and a couple little vignettes. But this is really where it starts steamrolling uh, on. And there's about 40 minutes or so left of this film at this point. So the hook comes down uh, and it basically is kind of looking around uh, to see if uh, maybe the fire is out. Since it's out, it gets dropped down and then there's a gingerbread man that's attached to uh, the hook. They actually all have names, which is really funny. Uh, And I guess that's something based within the actual script itself. And it's funny also to find out that Seth Green is one of the voices, quote-unquote, voices of them, as well as Breen Burns, which is another funny one to find out that he's the voice of a different clay man, or gingerbread man, as I should say, as well. As well as Justin Rowland, but I'm not very familiar with Justin Rowland's voice. Uh, So, it comes down and it attracts Howard Jr., who goes over there, grabs the gingerbread man, and basically bites a giant fucking chunk out of his head directly there and the thing screams and then it ends up wrapping the chain around him and starts pulling him up the chimney which wakes everybody else there of course howard's not able to get him in time but sarah's able to grab onto his feet and start pulling him down tom starts pulling on sarah then howard and linda both try to pull on sarah with tom as well Eventually, they lose control and Howard just goes right up the chimney and he's been kidnapped from everybody around. Everybody's kind of freaking at this point. They don't know what to do. But then Grandma, she starts explaining the meaning of Krampus. Now, I'm going to warn you, this is the tale of Krampus and Omi and it's about three minutes long. So if you don't want to listen to the full thing, skip forward ahead three minutes. But it's very important to the lore of the movie. So, without further ado, the tale of Krampus and Omi. Es ist unser aller Schuld. Wir wollten uns alle holen. Tom, what's she saying? This is all of our fault. He's come for us all. He, who, who's he? I, I, I don't know. Mom, what are you talking about? Please, listen. English. I knew it. I must tell you something to all of you. It started with the wind. On a cold winter night, much like this. It was almost Christmas. But this Christmas was darker, less cheerful. But I still believed in Santa, in magic and miracles and the hope that we could find joy again but our village had given up on miracles and on each other they had forgotten the spirit of christmas the sacrifice of giving and my family was no different I tried to help them to believe again, but we were no longer the loving family I remembered. They too had 
given up. And eventually, so did I. And for the first time, I didn't wish for a miracle. I wished for them to go away. A wish I would come to regret. And that night, in the darkness of a howling blizzard, I got my wish. I knew St. Nicholas was not coming this year. Instead, it was a much darker, more ancient spirit. The shadow of St. Nicholas. It was Krampus. And as he had for thousands of years, Krampus came not to reward, but to punish. Not to give, but to take. He and his helpers. I could only listen as they dragged my family into the underworld, knowing that I would be next. But Krampus didn't take me that night. He left me as a reminder of what happens when hope is lost, when belief is forgotten, and the Christmas spirit dies. Now, there are a couple things that I want to talk about in this little section of thing, but first I want to say what I really liked that they did was they did this whole section in claymation. Or at least stop motion. And it looks really good. Or maybe it's computer generated imagery. But in a stop motion type fashion. Uh, it's really cool. And I like how they kind of brought you out of the movie. To bring you something different. So you can get a feel of what's going on. Without showing you all the glitz and glamour. Of Krampus and everything else. And doing something a little more original. To tell the story. Hell this is almost like Santa's sleigh. When we had that really crappy claymation. Uh, where it was like Rudolph the Red-Nosed Reindeer style of how Santa got... There's this really weird connection the way these two films are kind of working together, but not so much. Not not terribly, but the fact that they both use some type of stop-motion uh, motion, uh, section to tell a backstory is very interesting. I think this one was a little more serious about it, where that one, of course, is a little more cheeseball about it. But I'm not going to say that these two are the same movie. And uh, definitely, you know... There are the the big questions here, and that comes down to how do you summon Krampus? So it says she says that when you kind of lose all hope, and I think it's lose all hope within the holiday spirit, that Krampus arrives. So as a kid, she saw everything that was going around her, and she was the last bastion of hope for the entire town that was mad at each other because they were in hard times. And when, especially when you see them kind of fighting over bread, and it's kind of reflective of what happens at the intro of the movie where everybody's fighting over bullshit for our Black Friday sale because, once again, America. Uh, and she, that translates into Max as well. So now we see the two parallels between the story. 
where Max, he lost all of his hope in the holiday and the family and everything else, even though his father tried to instill that back into him. Which is really silly because that means that his that Tom has also lost the faith and it, way before Max ever did. And that's why Max was kind of the last bastion to keep everybody hooked together. But I believe that to be kind of false because Tom really was trying to keep everybody sane whenever they were having issues around the table or anything like that. And especially when he tried to reconcile Max with everybody else uh, around the table. So the question then becomes, if you stop believing in Santa Claus and the holiday spirit and all that stuff, that's is that what makes Krampus actually appear? According to this film, it seems like that answer is yes. If you no longer have the belief and you no longer have the faith, then you bring Krampus upon yourself. Uh, and that's kind of where we can mesh the two together. Now, going back uh, to the family, Howard starts like, oh my god, I am not believing this shit. This is a bunch of bull crap. And uh, how can you expect me to believe? Dude, he's been attacked by something under the snow that's brought him there and the gingerbread man he saw or at least you saw that happening there and you saw one put up on that fridge so why wouldn't you believe that something weird is going on here everybody else seems to accept it though howard still can't really grasp around the idea that this might actually be happening to him i can kind of understand i mean you just had your son taken away from you but honestly, there's a lot of really kind of freaky shit going on. And Howard, you really should believe the grandma, especially since it sounds like she's experienced exactly what's happening right now. They cut over a little later and you see the two daughters, Stevie and Jordan, talking with uh, Omi and trying to figure out how they can stop Krampus from coming after them. But what if you've been good, like, all year? And you leave out milk and cookies and do everything else right. Es geht nicht um das, was du tust. Sondern woran du glaubst. Und? Ob du schon aufgegeben hast hier drin. It's not what you do. It's what you believe. And what you've given up. In here. The other thing that we're starting to notice at this point when they keep looking outside is there are a ton more snowmen that keep popping up in the front of the house. So I kind of thought maybe they were turning the people that they captured because there's one that they tried to lure them outside with that looked just like their son Howard. But I think what they're doing is when they steal them, they're putting up the snowmen kind of in a similar vein of the people to make fucking fun of them like ha 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 we got your guy not anybody else it's at this point that tom pulls howard and linda aside along with sarah and tells them about a plan that he wants to try to get them out of the house the snowplow the keys were in the ignition and it was beat to hell but if it runs i drive it back here then everyone piles in the car and follows while i clear a path in front of us and go where the mall doubles as an emergency shelter. And if it's empty, we'll try the police station. And what if they're gone too? Then we keep driving till we see lights or people, plowed roads, somewhere safe for the kids. And then we bring help back here. 
for Beth and Howie. You're not thinking of going for the plow by yourself, are you? Shepard's got to protect his flock. Linda also was looking at the Krampus gifts before because she decided that, hey, I should rewrap everything to make sure that the kids still have a pretty good Christmas. See, Linda isn't that bad of a person. They made her seem kind of like, because she's a really big pushover and Howard is such a, not demeaning, but demanding and overbearing person that it's weird to see her in a very positive light but you get that kind of heartfelt moment when she wants to put everything together uh and what kind of gets me at this point is that the presents that are there all of a sudden they start making noises and they've been in this house the whole time and we had the gingerbread men come down the chimney and they couldn't come until the fire was ready uh, was down because that's the way that they would come and they would probably burn themselves to death that they were gingerbread men. But what stops the toys from fucking just wreaking havoc right away? Well, I shouldn't say toys and I'm kind of giving away, but the whatever is in the creatures and minions that are in the package, what stops them from just all of a sudden going on a rampage and getting everybody in the house? Well, Stevie and Jordan, they start walking around the house and that's where we learn that those toys can actually, or whatever is upstairs in the uh, the attic, can actually mimic other people's voices. And so they decide that they're going to mimic Beth's. Beth? Beth, you up there? Where have you been? Everyone's freaking out. Come up here and I'll show you. I've been waiting So they start screaming, which causes Tom, Linda, and Sarah to all run upstairs. Howard has to stay downstairs because he's still pretty damaged and can't move that far. Uh, <clears throat> Max leans over to his grandma and says that it's all his fault, but she says no, of course not. And, you know, all of a sudden there's a little bit of noises downstairs, uh, Howard tries to get their dog to go and actually look at something, but she has a right idea and gets the fuck out of there. Meanwhile, upstairs, it's completely frozen over. Everything has icicles on it now, and they're trying to figure out where everybody else is. Well, at least where Stevie and Jordan are. <clears throat> That's when they get up into the room, and they start looking around with a flashlight, and it focuses in on this crazy fucking like jack-in-the-box type clown thing and you see him and he's eating the last bit of jordan he's swallowing it but he's like the length of the whole goddamn floor i mean imagine something that's probably about seven or eight feet in length and has a jack-in-the-box box at the end of it and that's what it's coming out of but it's got it's it's actually really cool like when you look at the designs of everything in this film, there's only one thing that I did not quite like as much when I got an even better look at it, but the creature designs are really neat. The idea, and you've probably seen this in the trailer when you've seen the, like, the clown guy and the big mouth opens up, just the design of the, the teeth and everything else that goes along with it looks great. And even when he's eating the last bit of the kid, they did a good job on the makeup department and the creature department for this film. We cut downstairs to see 
that now there's some other noises that are going on and Howard is trying to inspect what's happening downstairs. Lo and behold, he has to deal with the gingerbread men who have managed to grab a nail gun and start firing it at him. Uh, This causes him to say, oh God, I wish we had went to my brothers and then fight off against the gingerbread men. We cut back up upstairs and... When they're trying to uh, get the Jack in the Box guy, all of a sudden an angel-like type of demon comes down and starts attacking Sarah. Uh, When they try to help Sarah out, they're trying to get it off of her. Then a teddy bear monster shows up, starts attacking Linda. And then lastly, of course, there's a robot toy that starts attacking Adam. Or Tom, I should say. And it's kind of cool to see these like demons or... Um, monsters, minions, or whatever, kind of designed like your average, everyday uh, Christmas toys. Uh, because, of course, everything is kind of like flipped opposite Santa, right? So instead of having happy toys that kids can play with, he has mean toys that can destroy you and possibly kill you. Uh, it's The designs of the creatures are pretty damn good, and <clears throat> the use of them works really well. Back downstairs, Howard is fighting off the gingerbread men, and he manages to take a shot and smokes those motherfuckers, blowing them up into the air and catching them all on fire. Uh, Two of them, uh, well, one of them is completely destroyed right away, and the two of them start running after him. He takes a shot, and he manages to take out one of them, but the last one jumps right at him, and at the last possible minute before stabbing him in the face with a candy cane, The dog comes out of nowhere and eats the last gingerbread man, and he actually did something right by his owners. Upstairs, uh, Linda gets some type of newfound strength and then just starts going all fucking super mom and saving everyone and saving the day. Knocks off the angel, knocks off the toy that's been attacking Tom, and then she goes right after the Jack and Box, who this whole time has been just like super slowly inching away. So it's kind of funny that she's still kind of being nice and polite even when she's trying to kill this thing. And the fact that it took the Jack in the Box thing that long to get out of the room, but when she's running at it with the axe trying to chop it, it gets away super fast and manages to get down the damn tunnel just in time to escape her axe. Uh, We find out that Sarah's a pretty damn good shot too because she takes Linda's gun and she blows the face Well, she shoots the angel off of her. It looks like she might have hit it in the face, but we find out later that that's not necessarily true. They go back all downstairs together because the weird jack-in-the-box thing that has Jordan in its mouth or in its stomach is still traveling through the house and through the air ducts. Max figures that they can send the dog through the air ducts, but what's weird is the dog is... The way the camera pans around and follows everything and everyone... The dog is able to climb up the air ducts just fine by himself while he's searching for it. And he's a big, fat fucking bulldog. I'm not saying that you have to be the best, most fit dog in the world. But honestly, that dog shouldn't be able to go through the ducks and do what he does. Uh, which is ultimately gets get killed. Uh, and But it does force the jack-in-the-box to break down through the ceiling with the weight of itself. Uh, and they when they try to go after it, all of a sudden, the whole damn place... Uh, the the other monsters come out, knock Howard away, 
Aunt Dorothy, she starts like becomes a fucking marksman, takes almost everybody down. And right before she's going to take the Jack in the Box down, the whole place fills with Krampus's elves. And so now you got all these cool little costumes, mostly just masks that they're wearing. But it kind of looks like, I don't know, you should, you definitely should look for it. But I know there's a Krampus festival that happens in uh, this time frame, the December, November time frame, I believe in Austria. And there's a lot of videos out there, whether it's videos via Facebook or videos via YouTube. But they're all like mini versions of those things. I thought they were goblins, but they call them elves within the the film uh, descriptions and scripts. So let's just go with elves uh, for this one. And then it's at this point that I think it it kind of made me feel like, is this becoming Labyrinth now? Because the first thing that they do before, of course, they steal the ant is they steal the baby. So now they've got the power of the babe. You know, the power of the babe. Who do? Well, you do. Do what? Have the power of the babe. Uh, so they take the, the kid. They run away. Uh, and right before they take uh, Auntie Dorothy away, you get one of my favorite lines in the movie. Twisted fairy tale horseshit! So that's when Howard jumps on the back of the Jack the Box thing and he's gone from the film. I like the fact that they use the slide whistle to carry Aunt Dorothy out the goddamn window too, which I find fucking hilarious. That just adds the to the fact that he's calling this uh, fairy tale horse shit. <laughs> and, and he's seen everything that's going on, but he just can't stand it anymore. And he's got to do something about it. Uh, but that's the last time that we see him. Now, uh, <clears throat> all of a sudden you hear the, the sounds of hooves coming on top of the building itself, of the house itself. And all the creatures, they decide to leave. One jumps, before it jumps out the window, looks at them, points them and saying, oh yeah, you're fucked now. And they all decide that this is the time to get out of there. Of course, as they've gathered everybody and they're leaving, Grandma, she decides that it's time for her to face the demon. Bobby! Be good. So, I don't know why Grandma thinks that she's responsible for the whole thing. And there is a theory that I'm going to talk about at the end of the film itself. Uh, But it's very, very odd that this is where we would go from this point in the film. She does face up to Krampus. uh, And he comes down the chimney just like Santa Claus. Which is really, really, really funny. Uh, In all honesty, uh, I wish there was... A little more um, to the whole presentation of the first time that you see Krampus. But you just get a little idea of what he looks like. Because you see the whole 
hoof thing. You see how he's got everything, but you don't see what his face is. Though a large tongue does manage to come out. And I don't know what the obsession is with tongues, because I think this is the third time I've seen somebody or something lick something else's face. Between the angel, between that, and between the Jack and Box thing swallowing the person down and leaving Stevie alone completely covered in goo. Of course we don't get to see uh, Grandma's demise, which I don't think I really wanted to anyway, but she accepts what's kind of going on, and we go outside and we see everybody walking or running away together. We get to a point where they get to that weird snowfield where the weird worm or whatever thing is in the ground was sucking uh, Howard in, and Tom says, I've got to stay here, you guys move ahead. So now Tom is sacrificing himself, and my favorite character of the movie has got to fucking go ahead and get himself killed or suck underneath the damn thing. But he tries to buy them enough time by shooting the damn worm that's traveling underneath everything. Uh, then you go and you have, uh, they get to the snowplow. And right before they get to the snowplow, of course, Linda, she gets sucked under by a thing and they try to save them. Uh, Sarah, she gets all the kids into, well, Stevie and Max into it. Uh, and <clears throat> at the last possible moment, she also gets sucked down. Like, it, it's just kind of anticlimactic at this point that the last couple of people are getting killed in such a shitty kind of manner or they're getting sucked away. I didn't mind the thing with Howard. I thought the stuff with Jordan was kind of cool. You know, we Beth again a little too early. The Howard situation, they all got... The kids get longer things than the adults do. Of course, once they see her get sucked into the ground, Stevie claims that they gotta go. Max, we gotta go! Okay, I really like that line too, even though it's a little cheesy. Uh, the other thing that, well, the one thing I guess I should say that happened at this point in the film was I made a prediction. And I know this is probably a little late to making this prediction, and I kind of already talked about it before, but I think that there's two things that could happen at this point in the film. Uh, if you've seen it, let me know if you kind of guessed the same thing. And, and one of mine happened to be right, but we'll go a little more in depth in that in a bit. Uh, but either I thought Max was going to be left alone because it's just an allegory, just like we saw his grandma's story. He's going to get the same type of treatment and he's going to be left alone. Or two, Krampus is going to reset everything and everybody's going to be back together happy, loving, and, and wonderful, right? Now, Max, at this point, he decides that he's going to go and he needs to chase after Stevie and save her from the clutches of Krampus. And this is where we first really get a good look at Krampus's face because he pops up in front of poor Max here and he gives him the same ornament that he gave Omi during her story meaning that again like I guessed it he could possibly be the last one left alive it is gonna veer a little bit from where I thought it was going uh but not by a whole lot and the only time you get a shot of his face is there's and I had to do a still of it uh is when the light flashes and it actually shows you. It's really quick, but if you pause it just right, you can get a good view of his of the Krampus's face. And honestly, I always expect something more like the legend of Krampus uh, than what they turned him into. So a lot of the look is very good. The hands, the horns, the, the coat, and everything. But his face 
is like a distorted version of Santa Claus. So they really are trying to turn him into that Santa Claus shadow, make him look everything similar to him, but not exactly be Santa Claus. It's an interesting take on it, but I don't quite like it just because I was still expecting with the horns and everything to see more of the goat-like figure that you've seen in the different drawings and legends and even the stuff that they play during the end of the film. You you see pictures of what Krampus sh- should look like and he looks more like a disjointed Santa Claus than he does the actual Krampus Christmas creature. So Max is standing there in the snow holding the little ornament that Krampus has given him as a reminder of what's happened. Then he starts remembering what his grandma had to say. He left me as a reminder of what happens when hope is lost. When belief is forgotten. And as a Christmas spirit dies. At this point he starts to run after Krampus and everybody. So that hopefully he can at least stay, uh, save poor Stevie. Uh, and when he runs up to the where they're having everything, and you get to see him really cool, like set design, at least with the sleigh, and you see how exactly the same they're trying to make him to Santa, but just being the opposite with his version of what the elves are, his versions of what the reindeer are, the sleigh that he has. It looks really cool, and of course, and then you've got Max not being really cool to Krampus. So he throws the ornament at Krampus, basically fucking trying to to take back his wish, but at the same time, he's dismissing what Krampus has fucking done with him, and you don't mess with the Krampness. You gotta be down with it, okay? Uh, And when he throws it, it starts kind of unfolding, and and what I forgot too, which was actually kind of neat, that he gave him the bell as a gift, and it was wrapped in the letter that he had torn up and thrown away. Uh... But when he throws this gift onto the ground, it starts opening up like the pits of hell. And, uh, you know, he goes up to Krampus and he basically starts telling him, Oh, well, you shouldn't, you know, don't take her. Bring my family back. You can have me instead. To eventually what uh, Krampus just looks him in the face and does this. So he drops, have them drop Stevie into the thing and then grabs him and starts holding him over the pit. I would have laughed in his fucking face too because look, all this crap that you did doesn't matter anymore. I'm here, I'm doing shit, and you're going to have to suffer the consequences now like you did before. This is also where I thought something else might, uh, shouldn't have fucking happened, okay? 
I don't want this to be a fucking dream. Like, he just went through everything, and it's a fucking dream, and that's the way that this ended up. The, the notes clearly state, this better not be a fucking dream. Because I'm tired of that bullshit. I'm tired of this, like, Christmas miracle type of thing. And he he holds the kid above the pit, and eventually he drops them in. Where, you know, he thinks when he wakes up the next day that all this was possibly just a dream. And it kind of sucks. But we do get to see him reunited with everybody from his family. All of a sudden, everybody's back alive. We're looking great. And we're sounding great. This dog did keep you guys up. She likes to bark at night. She sure does. About time you got up. We've been waiting forever. Oh, hey, there he is. Hey, kiddo. We thought the sugar plum fairies may have gotten you. You're all alive. Barely. I haven't felt this hungover since the Pope died. What's up, buddy? You okay? Yeah, I just... Just... had a bad dream, I guess. Uh, Enough of the sappy crap. Let's open up the damn presents. Okay, okay already. Come on, Linda, let's, let's do this. You want to help me? And you would think at this point, this might be the end of the movie. But, it's really not. He goes around and he's got his gifts and he looks at it and he... Before I really get into that, I should say that I just, I don't want this just to be a moral lesson for the family. Like, I wanted something more out of what was coming out of the whole thing. And and I get it, for a actual Christmas movie, you need that type of moral lesson, right? You need a reason why the holidays should be really important to you and to your family. And not it's more of a reminder more than telling you, though most of these... Christmas specials and Christmas fucking movies and all that stuff shoved that shit down your throat. And I really felt like, oh no, Krampus is doing that to me right fucking now. Yeah, I guess this is a fucking Christmas movie. So, but it does change on its head uh, a little bit because of the fact that the present that he had was the Krampus ornament that he thrown away. Which, it causes everybody to remember and it actually, at that point ends the film with it panning out and i'll talk a little more after i play this part uh but panning out in krampus's lab and showing them inside of a snow globe and we we have to talk about what that could possibly mean for the film as a whole uh and kind of krampus as a whole so uh here is them all remembering they're gonna end the film and there's a little bit of a surprise at the end You better not cry. 
better not pout, I'm telling you why. Santa Claus is coming to town. Gather round. He's making a list, checking it twice. He's gonna find out who's naughty and nice. Santa Claus is coming to town. So the little surprise was all of his little critters doing a jump scare at the end that wasn't very scary. So I like the way that the film ended because it was different than anything I had seen in a while. And it's really open to interpretation. Now there's a lot of things out there and supposedly there's like a comic book that gives you more of what the actual ending should be. But my initial thoughts on it was they're kind of stuck in the snow globe forever, either having to relive Christmas forever, or there is something bigger with it, that the snow globe is just a window into their life. Now, when you look at the comic that was put out, and I can't quite remember the name of it, but you can find it out there, and it was written by the director and writer of this film, uh, it has three short stories that all have to deal with Krampus in one way or another and they all die the night before Christmas see this start the end of the movie starts on Christmas day right so we've gone through the 23rd and the night before where it culminates and everybody pretty much dies on Christmas Eve and then Christmas day they all wake up and everything's back to normal which is the same as this film so it kind of leads a lot of people to believe that that is the ending of the film that it's not about them uh, necessarily say going through a dream they because you see that when they see the gift and he pulls it out everybody remembers something about what happened with Krampus and they all get uncomfortably quiet and they fidget with everything knowing that they've been given a chance to do this again so even though it kind of leads you to believe that hey maybe they're stuck in this world where you know it's Christmas every day they're in the groundhog's day of Christmases all the time I kind of lean a little more towards what the comic kind of led in and after looking at it again a couple of times that it's more or less Krampus is kind of keeping a watch on them and he's got a bunch of different families that he's watching because truly the legend behind Krampus itself is that he comes and he tortures the kids that are bad then instead of them getting the coal like we kind of really know in most of our culture or at least american culture i should say or christian or whatever you want to say what who's ever culture uh but krampus in the other cultures is what you get when you're a bad kid so these people were all bad people and they got what they got which was torment in those two days and then on christmas the here they are they're fine and well but they're there, they need to remember what happened. Now, there is another theory that I read that this was all a test, too. And a test by Krampus. And uh, Omi got tested as well. Where Omi, she didn't pass the test because she didn't do what Max did. Which was uh, throw it all away and reject the wish and want his family back truly. And that was the test and that's why we get Christmas Day. Even though Krampus is going to watch over them. He, they all get to come back together alive, whereas Omi, she was the only one left alive in her town. So, it's it's really interesting, and of course it's all open to interpretation for everybody, but it's, 
it's still not quite the ending that I expected, but it's a better ending than I thought I was going to get. So the biggest issue I have with this film comes down within my review scores. Uh, first, there really is no gore. That's not an issue. This is that type of movie. Um, there's some really cool effects, but there really is no gore in this film. Uh, other than the leg, a little bit being chewed up, David Keckner's leg, his character Howard. So it's a one out of five. Nothing really here. Uh, the craft factor of the movie, uh, this is where I have the most problems. It's a three out of five because it mis- misfires on what it's trying to be. It's trying to be a funny movie and it misfires on a lot of the jokes and it's trying to be a scary movie and it misfires on a lot of the scares. It really isn't that scary. There isn't really anything that I would have jumped out, maybe in a theater setting, a couple little things here or there, but in general, it just seems like it's a comedy horror that goes through, but it tries to take itself really serious, even though it has a little bit of comic relief. So it doesn't quite fit into either category, so that's why the crap factor ends up being so high. The fun factor of the film is a 4 out of 5. It is very entertaining. Even if without that stuff, I found it very entertaining, and I found myself smiling and getting into it. I do wish it didn't take so long to get into the whole Krampus thing, but once all that started revving up, I enjoyed the hell of it. I enjoyed the little fight with all the toys. I liked the way that they were designed. I liked the fact that, you know, everything had a use that was all opposite day. For anything that he used, he was definitely opposite Santa, right? He, it's weird to see it in that way, but that's kind of the way that they presented it in this film. And it worked really well, and I commend the costume department for creating wonderful costumes, with the exception of Krampus's face. I don't quite like it, I don't quite get it, but the outfit itself is wonderful, and the makeup design uh, and design of the creatures was fantastic as well. So that gets a 4 out of 5 for me in the fun factor. Overall, I give this a 3.5 out of 5. Three and a half burning gingerbread men uh, out of five, I should say. So, uh, and and do I recommend it? I do. I do recommend it that you see this film. uh, Just for getting a different take on the Krampus legend, getting more of a U.S. take on it than the actual European uh, legend that we have in front of us. I know sometimes it kind of sucks to see things go that way, but... Honestly, it's not a bad take, and it this is a very entertaining movie. I didn't think that I was going to like it as much as I did, uh, especially with the shortcomings of it trying to do too much in both areas. Well, trying to do it, but not doing it enough. That's actually the better way to say it. It could be a really just funny horror comedy with light on the horror side and more just on the comedy side, but it doesn't do enough because the characters are so dislikable that you don't connect to anybody. Honestly, for me, like I said, only Tom do I connect with. I kind of, Howard got better towards the middle, and Linda, when she became Supermom, you kind of felt, but I never felt for Sarah. I thought that was a fucking waste of a character. Why would Tom ever truly, like, fall in love back with her? You know, and even the, the Beth didn't have enough time to be a better person, and the other kids were all fucking mouth breathers, so... I don't really give a shit. The only other person that I kind of liked because she was funny was Dorothy. Uh, even Grandma Omi, I didn't care. She was just there as being a vehicle. Though I do agree with my statements that's, that 
The fact that they didn't subtitle any of the German sections of her speaking was genius to me. Uh, but if they did get subtitled in the actual film, and I just happen to have a non-subtitled version of the film, um, then it's not as genius as it could be. But I did enjoy that fact, and it's cool when you do understand the language some so that you can get your own spin on it, uh, even if my translations aren't totally perfect in the, in my head. And then it could have also been a scary movie if they just focused on the scariness of everything. Nothing was really jumpy, jump out of you. You don't need that. But even the creepy parts weren't that creepy. It just kind of moved along. Uh, though I can say it is a Christmas movie. It has every Christmas movie trope that, you know, the families don't believe in the holidays. And something brings them all closer together. And they realize how much the holidays actually mean to them. That's the standard stamp of a Christmas movie. And this has it in spades. So, I would recommend that you watch it. But maybe I'd say, too, your mileage might vary on the final product. As for next episode, uh, we are going to look at another Krampus movie. This happens to be a sequel. Not to this Krampus but to another Krampus. Listen to the Krampus 2 trailer, would you? It's happening again. The missing children. It's different this time, Jeremy. It's happening way earlier and it's way more intense. You're the only one that's gotten close to him. So look out for Krampus 2. Uh, it has a subtitle that's silly. It's like The Devil Returns, uh, if I remember. Uh, but it's not linked to this Krampus. It's linked to another film uh, that's out there. So it's something different. And there are plenty of Krampus things that we can look at. But... Uh, like the Krampus musical, if you really want to look at that. But I definitely would check out the Venture Brothers Christmas episode from, I believe, it's like season two. Uh, as it's funny as it is, has an accurate representation of what Krampus actually is. Uh, as always, you can always follow the podcast on Twitter, T underscore T underscore podcast. Check out the Facebook page, facebook.com slash the Terrible Terror podcast. Uh, and... Uh, check out there are some terrible terror mini reviews available on youtube just search for them or look for the user of tolbert because they're all up there uh and if you have any suggestions for movies or anything that you'd like to discuss either hit me up with a dm on twitter facebook or you can send me an email to terrible terror podcast at gmail.com Always remember, if you could give me a review on iTunes or Blueberry, Stitcher, wherever you're listening from, Spreaker, give me a like. 
uh, I'd really appreciate it because it helps the podcast actually be seen by more people. Uh, and I always like reading reviews and seeing how people uh, and how I can make the podcast better for you as a listener. So I do appreciate everybody that listens uh, every time. Uh, in between these reviews, I will let you know as of the airing of this episode date, there will be a bonus episode following the release of this episode, uh, where it is the, I've called it the Terrible Discussion Podcast, uh, and I have a friend for the very first time come on uh, and do a freeform discussion. We're talking about a couple of films that were terrible, uh, and I had a lot of fun doing it. Um, and we may look forward to more guests in the future as bonus sodes. So uh, keep that in mind as you listen. So thanks, everybody. Uh, and we'll see you next time for Krampus 2, The Devil Returns. Talk to you later.